I think people are still struggling with knowing exactly what to do. Um, you know, while um, you know DNI has been, uh, you know, certainly elevated in, in importance in the last, um, you know, three to six months, um, I still see a lot of companies flailing a little bit in terms of understanding what the right path forward actually needs to be, and um, they don't know how to measure success. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Change is hard. We all know it. Our mission here on Status Go is to provide you with the tools you need to drive change in your organization. There is a wonderful analogy from Jonathan Haidt, a psychologist at NYU, used to describe the two sides to our brain, the logical and the emotional. Haidt compares our brain to an elephant and a rider. The rider represents the logical side of our brain and the elephant, the emotional. To affect change, you have to appeal to both the elephant and the rider both must want to go down the path. Over the last several months, we've been focusing on the elephant, the emotional side of race in tech. We've had several guests who have experienced bias firsthand and who have shared from the heart. Today, we're going to speak to the writer, the logical side. My guest today is Vinay Bagat, founder and CEO of Trust Radius one of the most trusted review sites for business technology, serving both buyers and vendors. Trust Radius recently released the results of a comprehensive survey of race in tech. Their 2020 People of Color in Tech report is a wealth of data, just what the rider needs. Welcome to the show, Vinay. Thank you, Jeff. I'm delighted to be here. I'm really excited to dig into this data, and I, I want to thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to read the report and have the opportunity to dig in and understand that a bit. Uh, but before we dig in on some of those findings, I'd love for you to share a bit more about your background with our listeners. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, Trust Radius is the second company that I've started. Uh, but before all of that began, uh, I grew up in the UK, and that formed a lot of my thinking, actually, on this particular topic. Um, my first company that I started was um, a company that helped the nonprofit sector use the internet for fundraising. We became a public company, and then I sold it in 2012. And um, Trust Radius is, as you mentioned, a customer review platform for enterprise technology. We serve about a million people every month who come to our site to get advice they can trust. So for, for those who may not be familiar with Trust Radius, is it similar uh, to Gartner and Forrester or is are there differences? Material differences. The problem we are attempting to solve is similar in terms of providing sage advice to technology buyers to help them make decisions 
um, the right decision and to do so in a confident way. But the approach is fundamentally different. Instead of relying on an analyst who uh, you know needs to scramble to become an expert on a category, we rely on, on the wisdom of the crowd. We believe that the user of technology fundamentally is going to be the best source of truth. And we crowdsource perspectives from hundreds of thousands of people um, to give advice to their peers. So it's uh, it, it's a peer platform. That's that's excellent. Trust Radius has issued a women in tech report the last couple of years. What led you to develop the people of color in tech report? Well, I think, um, you know, all of us as leaders in America had a big wake up call this year with the killing of George Floyd. And then, you know, all of the um, protests around the country just brought the issue to a head. And I think made us all sit back and think about, you know, are we doing everything we can do as leaders to, to improve society? And the answer I arrived was I arrived that was clearly no, um, we can be doing more. The tech industry is not as diverse as it as it needs to be. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the technology industry is that it does create a lot of economic wealth um, for participants. Salaries tend to be high relative to the norm, and that one of the best ways to kind of create equity in this country is by creating economic equity and driving again participation of all communities in in this wonderful industry that we participate in. On a more personal level, while I've never experienced um, racial barriers myself in America, I am, and you know, I'm, I'm of Indian descent, uh, grew up in the UK. I did experience um, a, a lot of racism growing up in the UK, as a, both as a child, physical and and, and sometimes, uh, well, verbal abuse and sometimes physical abuse, um, which was harrowing and scarred me. But also when I was um, graduating from university, uh, went to Cambridge University in the UK, tried to get jobs with um, leading consulting firms in London, and I could not even get a first round interview there and eventually joined that industry, you know, after going to graduate school at Stanford and came back to the UK and drove change in that industry in terms of their hiring practices. And definitely, again, first faced firsthand sort of the issues of unconscious bias in hiring. So I have a, you know, empathy for for the situation here in the US that others have to face that I haven't personally had to face. And I have firsthand experience of unconscious bias in hiring uh, from my time in the UK. And again, um, being the CEO of a company that serves over a million people a month, we had a unique podium in which to act. Yeah, and, and it gives you a unique perspective because as I as I said in my opening, I, I talked about the analogy of the rider and the elephant and and you're really able to speak to both sides of of that equation, both sides of the brain, the the emotional having been through it uh, in in uh, a lot of regards, and then the data from the analytical side. So that brings a unique perspective. Yes, indeed. So to our listeners, we are going to link to both reports in the show notes, the Women in Tech report, as well as the People of Color in Tech uh, in the show notes. So you'll have access to both of those. I will say I love the format of the reports. And when you have a chance to read them, you'll see that not only does Trust Radius provide the data and an interpretation of the data, but they also commingle it with stories 
from the human side of the data. So Vinay, let's dig into some of the numbers and what they mean to our listeners. One of the things that really popped out at me as I was looking at the report is related to hiring. And so the, the survey, and I'll paraphrase it just a little bit, and then I'd love for you to kind of dig into those numbers a little bit, that unconscious bias in hiring and promotion is a big problem in the tech industry. And 45% of the people of color think that is a true statement, that it does play a major role. And only 27% of the white respondents agree. So what is that saying to you as you interpret that data? Um, it says obviously that um, um, it's, not a, it's not a uniformly understood problem. I think, you know, the fact that 27% of white respondents agree is strong. It's pretty strong acknowledgement that the problem exists, but there's clearly a firsthand experience that they've not had that people of color have had that leads them to, you know, report unconscious bias being an issue at a, at almost twice the rate. Um, and and when I when I kind of unpack uh, this issue, um, I think I think we see a number of things. You know, there's an there, there's definitely an, an affinity bias that I think many of us have seen where. Um, uh, where maybe you don't intend to discriminate on the basis of color or gender or any other factor, but um, affinity leads you to have preference for people that you know feel like you, sound like you, etc. Yeah. And that's you know that's a normal human phenomenon, but we just have to figure out how to mitigate for it. And then also there's the whole notion of how does the person of color candidate feel. Um, in the interview process, we hear a lot in anecdotal commentary uh, that um, ca the candidate experience isn't always great. They don't get to meet people who they feel that they can, you know, relate to. No one wants to be, you know, an island of one, um, you know, in in a company. So um, the the issue is sort of complex and and hits on both sides. But clearly, the issue is is felt firsthand much more by people of color. And, and the way that this question was was stated, it, it also goes beyond the initial hiring into the promotion process as well, does it not? Absolutely. So as we as we think about that, what are some things that you could say or recommend to our listeners? How do how do they change that? We we've been having these conversations about the unconscious bias in hiring, but how do we continue to educate and elevate that topic? We're, you know, we're not a massive company, uh, but one of the steps that we've taken is um, a proactive focus on unconscious bias uh, workshops and training. So uh, one of my team members assembled a list of online resources and tutorials from Harvard and LinkedIn and, and Grovo and some other kind of resources like that. Um, the prep work um, for each of the workshops we did took each individual about 90, 90 minutes. It was mandatory. We had um, small teams, um, typically of six to 10 people meet at a time and a facilitator. I facilitated actually most of the sessions myself personally, uh, where I couldn't, I'd get, you know, another leadership team member to do that. And we, um, we just talked openly and honestly for an hour about both uh, the results of the test that we take, we took, where we, you know, we would talk about any biases that showed up in our own testing, 
and then our and our own life experiences. And I think um, I, I was really fortunate to have um, you know had a chance to facilitate so many of those workshops myself because I learned a lot more about my team. And um, you know, one of the things I kind of declared up front was it's okay to admit that you have a bias. I mean, everyone does. Everyone has some level of bias. The question is, do you acknowledge it and do you want to, you, know, you want to mitigate for it? And so just having that honest dialogue with people, I think is critical. I had a number of people, you know, basically admit that they'd had affinity biases in interviewing and that they were going to keep them more in check. We also learned a lot about, um, um, uh, you know, the idea of microaggressions where a person um, may may feel things and, and another person may say something and not realize what they're saying that makes that person feel um, small or you know you know not able to speak up. So I think um, the first step is really just acknowledging the issue exists and then taking simple steps to kind of educate team members and have an honest dialogue about the issues. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the other statistics that your that your survey un- uncovers is in in the area of discrimination itself. And while the the numbers of the first part of this probably aren't surprising, and that is that forty three percent of people of color have experienced racial issues at work, whereas eighty one percent of whites have not. the The part that I found surprising or or interesting. Uh, to say it better, is only 50% of the people of color feel comfortable talking about these issues with HR compared with 64% of the white respondents. Unpack that for us a little bit, Vinay. What is that saying to you uh, as as a leader of a company and someone who's responsible ultimately for the HR function of a company as CEO? Yeah, I mean, I think it may be reflective of of society at large, where um, a lot of communities in our country have almost accepted their fate for too long. And it's only been recent events that have actually given them um, confidence and a voice to really speak up and and, uh, protest. And maybe the same concept applies to the workplace, where people have just grown to accept certain things. Now, in terms of racial issues at work, um, we didn't necessarily unpack this, but I don't know how much of it is like really overt racial abuse versus microaggressions. I suspect uh, that microaggressions play a bigger role. Um, and um, that's why I believe there's so much importance in kind of educating on microaggressions. But I think uh, in terms of the reporting factor, I think uh, a lot of people just sort of accepted the fact that this is my lot in life. This is, you know, this is what I should, what I should grow to grow to expect. Interestingly, you know, you mentioned some of the people that we kind of profiled and interviewed. Um, there's a very different experience or diaspora for um, Black Americans, Americans who've grown up over, uh, overseas in places like Nigeria or the Caribbean versus Black Americans in the U.S. Um, I have good friends. I had a friend I went to business school with at Harvard who. Uh, grew up in Bermuda, where he, um, you know, really didn't face any, uh, you know, overt racism. And when he, um, you know, when he came to the U.S., he was sort of almost experiencing it for the first time. And therefore, he reacted uh, very negatively and, and sort of challenged it. 
whereas he said that you know a lot of african americans had almost kind of grown accustomed to that was just how things were so uh, i think there's something to that like when you've grown up with something your whole life maybe you just tolerate it uh you're unhappy about it but you accept it versus if you um if you've either been given a, a chance like in modern societal conditions to speak up or you've never experienced it before you're going to be more vocal yeah yeah that, that's true I, I think the other aspect that some of what i've heard in in talking with others on on this program as well as in other contexts is that um that they're tired they're they're tired of raising these issues they're tired of trying to uh, educate uh, their co-workers on these issues and they're just there's this feeling of of exhaustion from the weight of having to be the voice of their entire race uh, in many situations and, and I think that's got to play into it as well I'm sure it does yeah so there there was one area of uh, at least one area of good news in in the survey and that is that the numbers are rising we're seeing an increase of uh, more people of color in tech now compared to 10 years ago and uh, you call out some of the cities in your survey uh, uh, atlanta dallas fort worth chicago but what what message are you hearing in in that number, Vinay? Um, I'm hearing that you know, to your point, there is there is positive change afoot. That there is, um, I think that those communities have have realized that there is a good career to be had in the tech industry, and um, change does begets you know change where uh, as people ride to positions of leadership. Um, if they are people of color, they are in a position to tap more into their communities and, and recruit more, more to more, more to the mix as well. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's hope here. I think, um, there's hope on, 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 on the level of people of color reaching levels of power and again, recruiting, but also others who have just woken up to the issue that, it is our responsibility collectively to to try and drive change. Uh, I know a number of leaders who, again, are in similar situations to myself, where they haven't personally been the um, uh, the, the, the the they haven't personally felt the barriers in the U.S. of of their ascent, but have started to sort of believe very strongly that they have a um, a moral obligation to try and make a difference here. And I think fundamentally, we all believe that there is um, a commercial gain to have a diverse and balanced employee population that represents society and that has uh, diverse viewpoints. Um, but, you know, back to this point about kind of regional, regional change, uh, it's not perhaps surprising that we're seeing the fastest change in areas that do have, you know, larger minority populations. Um, but, you know, we, we've still got work to do here, but I do see um, a positive change of foot. Well, and, and you mentioned leadership, and and I think that goes back to uh, one of the points that we were talking about earlier when we were talking about hiring and promotion, is that one of the one of the survey responses this year was that sixty seven percent of respondents work in companies with leadership teams that are less than twenty five percent 
people of color. So even if we're making headways at the uh, frontline workers in, in tech, we still have a ways to go in leadership. And so what, what types of things are you seeing companies do to help uh, combat that and resolve that as they continue to work to grow and diversify? I think um, the, the, one of the most tangible things companies can do is to modify their channels of recruiting, whether that's, you know, to hire, you know, people who are starting out that their career or, or leaders, um, you have to go beyond your existing networks and channels, maybe your existing recruiters, um, and uh, tap into sources of diversity, whether that's um, focused, you, you know, focus groups. Um, in the case of people graduating from college, you know, historically black universities, etc. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do as a company is actually try and drive more systemic change at a, at a foundational level. You know, I think one of the issues impacting our industry is uh, the number of high school students who pursue college degrees related to tech and then are able to enter the tech industry. And there are a number of barriers along their way in terms of lack of mentorship um, and guidance and assistance and help, you know, access to internships. You know, oftentimes internships have been selected based upon who you know and who's friends with who, as opposed to, um, you know, equal opportunity. So um, I've tried to rally my team uh, to, to do what we can do in a small way to contribute to changing, you know, the industry at a foundational level. We've gotten involved with a nonprofit in Austin called Code to College uh, that I, I truly believe in the mission of. They, they, you know, they serve um, mostly minorities, uh, mostly female, uh, who, uh, high school students who want to get into the tech industry and they help with things like coaching on resumes as well as programming skills and uh, college applications, et cetera. They uh, look to provide internships to both high school and college students. And I think, you know, the more that we can do at a foundational level to increase the number of people from these diverse backgrounds entering the tech industry is critical. And then, you know, coupled with um, making sure that there, again, is no unconscious bias in their, in their ability to ascend, where they can mm-hmm. ascend in companies purely based upon their own merits and, and not held back for any other reasons. And so I think if we tackle those two things that are found at the foundational level, we will see uh, more people of color ascend into leadership positions. Well, and, and I think the, the other aspect of that is as we start to increase those numbers, then it's, it's almost chicken and an egg kind of thing, right? Where, where, uh, people will have role models that they can look to, to, to grow in their career. Because one of the problems, uh, I know this is, uh, this is prevalent in women in tech is that, um, people leave the, the role they, they're in tech, uh, women are in tech and they decide to leave because they're not seeing those role models. And so as we build that out, I think that starts to help. Uh, bringing people in and having them stay in the industry. Everyone needs a helping hand. Everyone needs a a mentor and a guide. And one of the things, again, that came out in the study was um, African-Americans in particular find it much harder to find mentors than, say, Caucasians or even East Asians. So, um, you know, the 
um, again, the ascent of, of people of color into leadership roles is important, but also, um, you know, creating opportunities for guidance and mentorship and leadership. Again, whether that's someone early in their career who's trying to ascend, whether that's a high school student trying to get into the industry for, you know, go to college and go to the in, get into the industry for the first time, um, you know, creating those pathways is critically important. Yeah, we had uh, Cynthia Billups on the show a, a couple of episodes ago, and she works for an organization by the name of Dev Color, and it's for black software engineers to get together and just be together. It's not even really a mentorship program as much as it is a support organization where they can uh, meet with their, they call them squads, but they meet with the, the other people in their cohort and relax a little bit where, because a lot of times uh, they may be the first or the only black engineer in their company. And she tells the story about a, a, a woman who not only is uh, the, the first and only black software engineer in her company, but in her entire building. And, and so just having a place to go is important so that you can build that sense of community and you've got a place where you can, quote unquote, be yourself. Mm -hmm. So let's turn our attention to uh, DNI initiatives, diversity and inclusion initiatives. And uh, your, the survey came back that companies uh, see that the respondents are seeing that they can be effective. However, there there seems to be a disconnect, uh, a disconnect between uh, the the C-suite and the rest of the organization. In that the the CEOs are split about fifty fifty on whether they are effective. So what what do you see in that uh, that piece of data, Vinay? I think people are still struggling with knowing exactly what to do. Um, you know, while, um, you know, DNI has been, uh, you know, certainly elevated in, in importance in the last, um, you know, three to six months, um, I still see a lot of companies flailing a little bit in terms of understanding what the right path forward actually needs to be. And um, they don't know how to measure success. Um, they don't know um, exactly, uh, they know that it's important. They know that their employees at large want them to make progress. But I think a lot of leaders are struggling to understand exactly what success looks like. And so to me, I think, um, I think uh, there are a, a number of things you don't want to do. I mean, one of the things that I've seen some companies do is set quotas, which I don't think is the right strategy. And a lot of a lot of people more learned than me on this topic have, have kind of concurred that, you know, quota setting is not the right approach. But, you know, there are tangible things that one can do, like uh, really uh, training team members around unconscious bias, making sure that your recruiting channels are appropriately diverse, making sure that your recruiting methodologies don't, you know, introduce any kind of affinity bias, making sure that people in your company um, have an outlet to report issues like microaggressions for themselves. So I think I think the answer is, really lies in getting very concrete around what to go execute and do, and um, being you know just thoughtful and deliberate about it. 
And I think all too many CEOs right now perhaps know it's important, or at least are hearing from their employees that they believe it's important if they haven't personally embraced that. But they are flailing in terms of exactly how to go about driving change. Yeah, it, sometimes it does. It comes down to what you're measuring and what does what does success look like, and uh, depending on what the CEO is measuring or seeing, uh, there it creates that disconnect. Yeah, and 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 you know, I mean, to be brutally honest, right? CEOs, I'm one of them, have many many priorities, yes. and um, the hard thing is grappling with how to prioritize. You know, right. and, and how to fit this into uh, what often is a long list of priorities that you have to tackle. But again, I come back to the fact that this is, you know, this is one of the critical things that CEOs and, and organization leaders have to have on their list. Um, not just because it's the right thing to do for our society, um, but also because a diverse workforce ultimately produces better outcomes. And, um, you know, therefore, yes, we're all busy. Yes, it's one more thing on our plate, but you can't ignore it. you got to tackle it, do so in a measured uh, and strategic way and, uh, you know, apply the appropriate level of resource to it. Now, one of the things we haven't touched on yet in our conversation is uh, VC funding. Mm-hmm. There, there's a huge gap in funding for people of color startups. Why do you think that gap exists? And what are some of the things that we can do to close that gap? Oh, I think there are still huge issues of unconscious bias. I mean, it, it starts with the lack of diversity in the VC industry, right? I mean, um, the number of black venture capitalists is, is really, really tiny. Um, the number of you know um, Latinx venture capitalists is, is is also very small as well. So um, you know the the lack of diversity in the industry begets kind of the the, the funding patterns to a good degree. Um, now you know beyond that, there are a lot of unconscious biases that e- exist. Uh, one of the interviews uh, that I personally did as part of the People of Color and Tech report was with Manny Medina, the CEO of a company called Outreach in Seattle hugely successful company, you know, valued at over a billion dollars, rapidly grown company. Um, Manny is an impressive entrepreneur and an impressive CEO, uh, just just brilliant. And he himself, um, you know, verbalized in my interview with him, the struggle that he had in the early days of the company, getting VCs to take him seriously. He's, um, I believe, from Ecuador. English is not his first language. Therefore, has an accent, therefore needs to process things a little bit more slowly than a native English speaker before he responds. But, you know, incredibly bright guy, but just his interface may be a little bit different. And, um, you know, he struggled to kind of get VC funding early on and, um, and, you know, people to even do things, courtesy things like returning his calls. And, um, you know, you, you can you can sense, you know, as a person of color, I mean, again, I haven't personally felt this in the U.S. myself, but I felt it in the U.K. You can sense when the room is sort of a little bit, you know, on edge or uncomfortable with you, like they don't know how to relate to you because you're just different. Um, and I think a lot of 
people of color entrepreneurs will will share that experience where people are polite, but you you know you kind of read that there's an undertone there just in some of their lines of questions uh, and how they treat you. So, you know, I think massive unconscious bias exists in the VC world, and a lot of it stems down to the lack of diversity in the VC industry. Do you think there is overt racism and discrimination that takes place, or is it predominantly unconscious? I think it's primarily unconscious again. Um, You know, again, if I listen to Manny's experience, you know, he talks differently, he processes differently. Um, It's just, and he actually said that it's, it's actually, he's much better face to face than he is, um, you know, on a phone call as well, because his charisma can come through. Whereas on a phone call, you just hear the voice. Um, sometimes. And so, um, you know, I, I do think it's mostly unconscious, but it's, it's very real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vinay, we're, we're getting close to, uh, needing to wrap up here. And I know as we've talked that, uh, you know, we're all about action on status go. It's in our name, um, status go. What are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Well, if they're in a position of leadership, um, I would say, first and foremost, don't run away from this issue. Embrace it. Realize that it um, it's not only important, again, for society, but it can be important for your company, for the satisfaction of your employees, for diversity, you know, again, breeds um, diversity of ideas and we live in a multicultural society and if you want to serve the world at large uh, your employee population should increasingly reflect that society at large so in terms of a few things that you can do um, again uh, seek to number one eradicate any unconscious bias in terms of how you treat existing employees how you treat candidates number true two um, uh, rethink your hiring processes to tap into non-traditional networks and just diversify the candidate pool. And, um, you know, number three, just be transparent about what you're doing and, and your metrics. You know, again, don't don't shy away from, um, you know, sharing that it's work in progress and that things are far from perfect. But, um, you know, just communicate what you're doing and, and, and where you are on your journey. Excellent advice, Vinay. I really appreciate that. I know our audience uh, appreciates it as well. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to meet with me and sit down and talk to our listeners about this very, very important topic. I know as a CEO, you are incredibly busy and I appreciate the time it takes to do these types of things. So thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It was my pleasure. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. And we will, as I mentioned earlier, we will have links to both the Women in Tech report as well as the People of Color in Tech report. This is Jeff Tun for Vinay Bagat. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.